0: This is Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital channel Carnival.
1: I'm Peter Holden and welcome to this week's show. Coming up, we're going to be hearing from the Richmond Tigers inaugural VFLW captain, Jess Kennedy. Also on the way, the player of the tournament from the AFL Euro Cup on the weekend, the Irish Banshees, Marie Coyne. Plus, we've got our State League's wrap as we check in with the QAFLW competition and Ant Wingard. The AFL Sydney Women's competition with Lauren Hodgson and the VFLW with Matthew Cox. Plus, Shannon Power reports in from the AFL London Women's. League, So let's kick it off with our featured guest, a Richmond Tiger recruited out of Bendigo. Joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival, we have on the line the VFLW captain of the Richmond Tigers, Jess Kennedy. Jess, how are you?
2: I'm well, thank you. How are you?
1: Not too bad at all, but I should also be saying congratulations. You've married your teammate, now wife, Jacqueline Graham.
2: Yeah, a bit of a catch, so very happy and thanks for that. Hopefully she feels the same way.
1: Now, I'm going to obviously talk about Richmond in a moment's time, but before I jump back to the past, I should mention that you won the best and fairest last year by one vote over your now wife. Is that something you're going to be holding into the future whenever you have an argument at the dinner table or something like that of, hang on, remember the year I beat you by a vote in the BNF?
2: (laughs) Absolutely. You've got to take the wins when they come, so... Um, yeah, that's something I'll hold on to for a while.
1: <laughs> Keep that one up your sleeve. So let's <laughs> let's let's jump back for a moment. Let's talk about your footy career. Everyone knows about you coming out of the Bendigo Thunder, but when did you actually first pick up the footy? Did you actually have any interaction with the game back in your junior days?
2: Uh, no official um, interaction with the game, but always um, kicked the footy around the backyard and um, played with friends. Um, but no. I didn't actually play. I played netball and a few other sports um, and then picked up footy um, when I was at La Trobe Uni in Bendigo um, for the Bendigo Thunder, went in there first year.
1: Who gave you um, the heads up about the Bendigo Thunder playing in the Victorian Women's Football League? What got you along to that first training session and the eventual 2011 season?
2: Yeah, so it was um, literally a passing comment from one of the girls who was living on res with me at the time. Um, you should come down. It's pretty much all going to be fitness. Um, that'd be good for your netball. And I kind of thought, oh, okay, I'll, I'll go along. And, um, yeah, month or so later, it was round one. And, yeah, I haven't looked back since.
1: Let's talk about that 2011 season for just a moment because – you were in the Victorian Women's Football League Northwest Conference, and people would hear that thinking, oh, it's community football. You know, what kind of names would come out of there? First of all, I want to mention about some of the opponents you played against, and your thought that them, of course, also now being AFLW footballers. When you went up against yep. Melton Central, you had Nicole Callinan playing for them, now obviously at the Bulldogs. And when you took on uh, your other country rival in North Ballarat, the names Nicole Hildebrand, Caitlin Ashmore, and Rochelle Rocky Cranston.
2: Yeah, it's pretty crazy to think back, um, you know, they were great games that we had back then. Um, and those girls, yeah, were definitely talented. And um, I'm I'm so pleased for them and, and for the league that um, they're getting recognition. It's awesome.
1: And in the same year, 2011, when you were playing at the Bendigo Thunder, these names, Angela Foley, now the Adelaide Crows, Hayley Trevine, of course, now at Geelong, was with you, of course, at uh, Carlton in uh, 2017. And Emma Grant, of course, vice-captain at Collingwood.
2: Yeah, I think um, Benigo Thunder um, it went on as well. There's a few other girls that um, then went on to make the AFLW list. Um, so it's been a pretty good breeding ground um, thus far in the AFLW history.
1: Yeah, let's talk about some of those other names since you mentioned about the Bendigo Thunder. Um, you were picked up at the same time as Hayley Trevine by Carlton. That was after the AFL-W draft. You were taken as free agents. Also in there was Isabella Eyre, who would uh, play Carlton and, would, of course, would head up to uh, the Brisbane Lions. And also Sarah Last was with you uh, at uh, Carlton.
2: Yep, yep. Um, it's, it's pretty crazy. I think there's a few more names in there as well um, in the following years. But... Um yeah, I feel very privileged um, to have played alongside a lot of those girls and um, still have some really good friendships there. And um, Yeah, just look back and smile at those days. They were, they were great days.
1: We've seen clubs come and go. We've seen, obviously, what was the Gippsland Galaxy um, over at Tarelgan. Uh We saw, obviously, Shepparton, which is now just playing um, uh, country football up in the north of the state. Uh, the North Ballarat Eagles have come and gone. What do you think made... Bendigo Thunder, such a successful club, winning a a number of premierships and and being able to retain that core of players.
2: Yeah, I think um, particularly in those earlier years, there was a really strong bond between a core group of players that um, you know were either living in Bendigo or happy to travel back. Um, I think that at all times, you know, clubs go through through tough times and and that's definitely not exclusive of Bendigo I think um a few years back they they struggled for a year or two and um fortunately were able to rally and kind of have another few years where they were successful and and I think to be honest at the moment they're going through a tough time but I'm sure that um as is the the cyclic nature of footy clubs they'll, they'll be back and and better than ever.
1: We'll talk about the uh, tough times in, in just a moment, but there were some good times first uh, in your second season in 2012, uh, winning the premiership against uh, La Trobe University. In fact, you were named amongst the best players on the ground for that grand final.
2: I don't specifically recall being among the best, but um, the, the grand final was definitely a fond memory. I think we were about knee-deep in mud at Coburg, um, and we were just stoked to get over the line. It was, it was a great year and um, awesome to top off with the premiership.
1: We'll talk about the tough year, which was 2014. It was the year that Bendigo Thunder were invited to go up to the VWFL Premier Division and play in the top flight against the then-dominant Darabin Falcons, a future club of yours Diamond Creek, Melbourne University, St Kilda Sharks, uh, etc. Um, what do you put that tough year down to? I was, I was hearing stories at that stage that um, I think yourself and a number of other girls had decided just to take their year off. Yeah, I think,
2: unfortunately, it was, Um, a series of coincidences with a few girls um, finishing uni and and moving away from Bendigo. Um, There was um, other girls who, you know, had family commitments um, and another couple of girls with injuries. So it was, it was an unfortunate time where you had um, a big chunk of that core group um, for different reasons um, take a step away and, and unfortunately at the time there wasn't the depth to cover that especially when you're competing with yeah the best teams in the in the state and probably the country at that at that time was
1: there a deter- um, was there a determined effort to get yourself back and a number of others back to uh, bring the club back to their earlier glory days after that tough year
2: Um, I think there was a little bit of an effort to rally um, and some girls naturally gravitated back anyway. I know for myself, um, the reason I missed that year was through an ACL injury. Um, And so naturally I wanted to get back. Um, But for other girls as well, I know that um, Emma Grant returned and um, kind of led that charge and, and brought a lot of leadership back into that fold. And we had girls who... Had battled away for that year, then able to step up and enjoy their footy again. Um, so, yes, it was a massive effort, but but also as well, I think um, the league leagues changed a little bit, and um, yeah, that that probably helped out the revival a little bit.
1: Can you talk about how much your training has changed between when you first played football in 2011 compared to, say, 2016 on the edge of the 2017 AFLW season? How much has the load changed and your attitude to preparing for football changed?
2: Yeah, well, as I said, when I first um, arrived on the scene at at Bendejo Thunder, it was um, was purely an enjoyment and a fitness thing, and I still absolutely love it, but it definitely went from one to two nights of, of one, maybe one and a half hours um, to a much stronger commitment and, and more a commitment outside of that as well in terms of preparing. So, um, you know, preparing against opposition clubs and um, doing training outside of, um, you know, our game night, our training nights um, just to prepare ourselves. Um, I think as well as the, Competition grew and and there was a a lot of growth there before the eve of the 2017 AFLW season. Um, It had a lot of momentum and, and it was so involved and something that everybody really wanted to train for. It was great.
1: Let's talk about the 2017 season because, as we said, you came into it as a free agent. Did you think you were living a bit on borrowed time of, I've got something to prove here because I wasn't originally taken in the draft. I was one of those selected at the back of the pack, just making up the numbers almost in a sense.
2: Yeah, definitely. I think um, my attitude going into that season was to absolutely make um, every session count and make the most of an opportunity that um, was gifted to me and, um I really really didn't expect to get to play many games I, I as I said I just wanted to make the most of um the opportunity to train alongside you know some of the the best footballers in the country um, and I was really fortunate in the um I guess in the practice game um we played against Melbourne um I played okay and, and um Two nights before the game, I was um, pretty much tapped on the shoulder and said, "You know you're playing right," and I I couldn't believe it. So um, I still, my still, my attitude was to, you know, um, not take anything for granted and to enjoy it. Um, but yeah, it was honestly such a blur. It went so quickly. Um, I learnt so much. It was a very steep learning curve. Um, I guess from a tactical and physical point of view, it was was a great step up from what had been Bendigo Thunder and how much I had enjoyed that um, to really trying to take it to the next level.
1: Well, I'll ask you about this question because it's going to happen for a number of young women come uh, early next year when they will play their inaugural game for the Tigers in the AFLW competition. But when did it actually hit you? After the moment they've tapped you on the shoulder and said, you're playing... You're in round one. At what moment does it sink in? Of oh my god, I've got to do this. I got to pack the jumper away, pack the shorts away, get my kit ready. I'm playing in the game.
2: Yeah, I. It, to be honest, like I've got a, a massive smile on my face right now, and I still don't think um, it's something that I'm fully around. It, it was. It was such a, a quick turnaround from that session to our to our game and to running out um, the noise in at. Um, Princess Park was incredible. Um, to get the win on that night, um, we were completely floating for, for days on end. Um, and then, I guess the reality of that season is that it turned around so quickly. Um, and I think we faced GWS um, the following Saturday, and um, it's just it's just a blur. Um, I think that girls will be able to, um, you know, enjoy it at the time, but. Also, as well, they'll be able to look back on it and just remember the feeling that it gave them. Um, and yet, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful, but I'm also very proud of um, what I was able to achieve and what the team was able to achieve.
1: At the moment at Richmond, people look to you for leadership, being the VFLW captain, the inaugural VFLW captain from uh, last year. <laughs> Uh, what did you What did you take away, actually, from Lauren Arnell being your inaugural captain in the AFLW, particularly, again, like moments of that first game when everyone, that iconic photo, everyone's bunched together in the race about to run out into Princess Park and that wall of sound?
2: Yeah, um, it's not something that I've really had to put into words too much, but um, Lauren's is a great human, and um, I've always felt that... Um, as a teammate she was invested in me and that's something that I've tried to do with the girls who I now play alongside is um, to really be an active listener and and take note of everything that they've got going on in their lives and know that, you know, we're working together for the same goal um, come game day but also during the week as well. So, um, yeah, Loz is someone who I've talked to about leadership, um, you know, in recent years and, um, yeah, I was very privileged to play underneath her She was great.
1: So you played four games in your year at Carlton in 2017. As we said about the good times, there's also the bad times you've got to take in, and that is when you get the tap on the shoulder saying, look, we're not keeping you on the list for the next season. It's going to happen to a number of footballers for years to come because almost a third of a list has to be turned over at every club in these early years of the AFLW. Um, What are your recollections of that time where they've told you, look, Thank you for your service, but you won't be required for next year. And and I, I guess what what was the feelings days after that?
2: Yeah, I think um, in complete opposition to the the highs that were you know the euphoria around that round one game and and running out um, in the Carlton jumper on several occasions. Um, yeah, there was a pretty brutal, um, harsh reality um, of being told that at, at this stage we don't see that you're good enough to. To hold your spot, um, as I had said, you know, going into the season, I, I couldn't believe my fortune in being on the list, let alone, um, you know, going on to play some games. So um, there was a sense of, you know, I make every opportunity count, um, and it did take me, you know, a long time to, I guess, get over that. Um, but I was fortunate to go on and play with Diamond Creek in the. Um, vFLW in that year um, and I guess switching my attention to a different goal um, playing with a different team um, was really positive for me and um, yeah it's something that you know lots of girls do go through and um, there's not going to be something that anyone can say oh no you know it's all good um, don't stress get over it that that won't happen um, but I do think that if you have purpose and um, you want to to make another chance for yourself, um, you'll find a way.
1: Who got you in contact with the legendary Creekers to uh, play up there at Plenty War Memorial Park for that season?
2: Yeah, so uh, Scott Gowans, who coached that year, was um, one of the line coaches at Carlton in the previous year. Um, So that was, I guess, where that was born from. Um, And, yeah, a few others um, went across um, because at that stage – was Go Thunder would have been nice to return to. Um, we that there was a few of us um, decided that we should be playing in the in the highest competition um, possible to give us give ourselves the best chance. So um, there was also yeah, um, Bella Air and Sarah Last um, Emma Grant who was obviously at Collingwood but came to Diamond Creek as well. Yeah, a little bit of a relationship with that Bendigo yeah. and Diamond Creek.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, quite a few of them there. <laughs> was it an awkward first conversation with Scott about coming to Diamond Creek? Because like you said, he was uh, in your first year a line coach at Carlton and there could have been every reason for you to say after being delisted, I want nothing to do with anything from Carlton. Uh, and you could even have said nothing to do with football. How did you get over that awkwardness of, okay, I'm working with someone again who I've had to leave our other working relationship with, which was at Carlton?
2: Yeah, so I think um, there wasn't too much awkwardness. It was all um, Simon Field um, prior to the AFLW season wrapping up with what was going to be the plan for um, the winter months following that season. Um, And Scott was really good about it and just said, okay, well, what do you want to get out of this winter season? So um, at that stage, um, I think my goal was to get Redrafted, and that goal has probably um, uh, been remodeled a few times into just just enjoying my footy and, and playing the best possible level that I can, um, performing each week, and and really just trying to get the best out of myself.
1: You mentioned about the Bendigo girls playing for Diamond Creek. How was that awkward feeling in September where, of course, uh, there was community clubs attached to all the VWFL clubs um, uh, after the VWFL top tier formed the VFLW. Um, Some of the girls were going back and forth between Diamond Creek and Bendigo Thunder. And, of course, the Diamond Creek seconds ended up playing Bendigo Thunder in a grand final.
2: Yeah. um, I I guess it's always a little bit awkward. Um, but I think you would know as well from your involvement in women's footy. Um, there's a lot of friends that you form along the way, and um, ultimately you just want the best possible outcome for the people who you you care about and they're invested in. And um, yeah, I think I definitely said on more than one occasion, you know, I just want these couple of girls to play well, and, and I hope it's a good game. So um, I have a lot of respect for both of those clubs and and all of the girls who I played with. Um, so whilst it 's awkward it 's definitely not the first time that that people have had to come up against community clubs or play against their friends or anything like that.
1: How tough was the period of uh, October? 2017, because two things happened. Um, for one, you didn't get picked up in that second uh, AFLW draft. And then just a few weeks later, it was announced that a number of the community clubs that were in the VFLW Diamond Creek, Eastern Devils, St Kilda Sharks were all out. And there was going to be a big change and a whole bunch of new clubs, i.e., being the AFL clubs, fielding sides in the VFLW. You were without a home at both AFL women's and VFL women's level. What was going through your mind then? Um.
2: Oh, to be honest, I'm I'm not 100% sure what exactly was going through my my head. Um, I guess in my heart of hearts, I knew that um, I still wanted to play footy at the highest level that I could play at and get the most out of out of myself. I know that all of our days are numbered, um, and I wasn't yet happy to to walk away or um or give it up just then um, so yeah I guess my attention turned to um, where is going to be um, the best place for me to play my footy and um, at that stage my, my now wife and I were together and, and where would we both enjoy to play and um, be given an opportunity to really flourish so um, we had some conversations um, between ourselves and a few other people and um Ended up in contact with um, Kate Sheehan and Tom Hunter here, and um, it was a really exciting day when we made the decision to to sign on here, and um, you yeah, know we've been smiling ever since.
1: I guess two questions for, uh, for that. Uh, one was it made easier through the connection that uh, that Richmond has now with the Bendigo area and setting up academies etc. Up uh, that part of Victoria. And B, uh, were there other clubs? Uh, you don't have to name names, obviously, but were there other clubs sniffing around, inquiring about your talents?
2: I don't know if it was necessarily them sniffing around or me sniffing around them, but um, we did talk to other clubs. Um, but um, the, I guess, the closeness of Richmond and um, the way we were treated here was was awesome, and I also loved um, the prospect of. Um, it being a new club, um, being able to help establish, um, you know, some culture within the women's program, um, the opportunity to, um, you know, really develop as a leader and um, bring some of my experiences that I'd gained over the, you know, previous six or seven years worth of playing footy um, at various levels, and um, I think it's been a good fit to be honest. It's, I've, I've loved it.
1: So we go to the 2018 VFLW season, the inaugural season for Richmond uh, when it comes to women's football and you get the honour of being made the inaugural VFLW captain. Um, How did it feel at that stage? Because this is a year before the likes of KB and Sabrina and Monique and all of that come along. How did you feel having the responsibility of A, leadership and having to set the standard and B, in a way, being the face of the side?
2: Uh, Well, I guess firstly I was, Um, you know, really honoured to be appointed the captain and and voted in by the girls who I play with and to be given the the nod by the board and the footy department. Um, And I guess I didn't know what was ahead for the the football club at that stage. Obviously, um, the intention was always um, to enter into the AFLW. Um, At that stage, you don't know... Who's going to be around? What any individual's future looks like, um, and so it was a really um, exciting time because we just got to focus on the present. You know, we got to um, live, you know, this uh, Richmond brand and um, really enjoy each moment as it came. Um, there were a few times where um, I thought, "Wow, this is really overwhelming with Richmond at the time, having so much success and." Um, such an intense following that to see my face on on certain things and, and in social media and and stuff like that was was a little bit surreal. Um, but you know the the club's been awesome and um, I've been happy to yeah you know, be affiliated and yeah be a part of it.
1: Can you talk about the challenges of captaincy in that first season? Because unlike other clubs, uh, as much as a win's very nice for Richmond in that first year, it wasn't realistically a premiership chance. It was about development, having a look at the full list to see who was going to be, as you start to cut things down, going to be making it for AFLW 2020. Um, How how does it feel having a leader side where you know going into the year your results are going to be very up and down?
2: Yeah, I think... Um that that's a tough question. But I I completely I think you've answered it. You know going in, um, that as a new and establishing club, um, there will be challenges and, and that's despite or or regardless of if it's on the scoreboard or with personnel or um with the the program that you're running, um, it being the first time that it's that it's ran, it's not gonna be, you know, smooth sailing. Um but the challenges we were really fortunate in that though the group was developing we had some really awesome you know people on board and um, people as a part of that um, squad that for me that the challenge was not um, I mean the personnel that we were dealing with they were fantastic um, you know the challenge each week coming up against you know some awesome opposition and um, some big bodies was was tough but um, to the girls' credit, I, I really think that everyone put in and um, everyone continued to grow throughout the year, and um, it probably made those you know scoreboard victories even more special um, because you knew the effort that that people had gone to to get to get to that point. Um, yeah, I think that final win against um, St Kilda in the last round, um, where we literally hung on um, to win, was. It was really, really special and um, a highlight of the year.
1: How does it feel to be in this season, though, where things are completely different, not only are you well, as a club counting down the days to the AFL women's season 2020, but to have this VFLW season start off so well, being six and zip?
2: Yeah, I think um, like it's awesome to be um, at that point where people are talking about your scoreboard results and, and your ladder position. Um, but the exciting thing is that um, we're still fresh and we're still working through things and developing. So I feel like there's still a lot of growth. Um, The challenges um, are probably, I guess, um, people don't think that there's challenges as much as when you're, when you're on the harsh end of a a loss, Um, but we're still trying to get the best out of everybody and bring a group together and, Stuff like that, so um, it's enjoyable winning, um, but we know that we still want to keep developing and keep growing. Um, support each other through that process. All- but yeah, like, like I said, it's 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 nice to win. It's it's um, it's been exciting, and there's some really talented girls that have come into the program and um, not only played some great footy, but really lifted. Um, the people who are around them and continue like help to set the example of how to prepare and how to train. And, um, yeah, I definitely am enjoying being a leader in this environment, but I'm also enjoying learning.
1: If things keep tracking how they are through the VFLW season, um, are you drooling at the prospect of there could be a Collingwood-Richmond VFL final at some stage and the crowd and the fever that comes along with that?
3: I I haven't
2: thought that far ahead and unfortunately um whilst it would be super exciting, I'm not yet at the stage of drooling. <laughs> um I think uh we had a really tough game um against Casey on the weekend. Um and we're looking forward to playing against the Bulldogs um on Saturday night, um or Saturday evening and um yeah, like I would love to play finals and um, for us to go deep in, into finals. Um, that's not something that I would shy away from, but I also want to make sure that as a group we continue to move forward and give ourselves the best best opportunity and what we do day to day really does count.
1: At the moment, the Richmond Football Club haven't announced you yet as an AFL women's player for 2020. In my humble opinion, I believe it's a certainty. Um, If it wasn't, I'd be asking for Gecko, that guy in 2001 who dumped chicken poo on the front steps of uh, Punt Road Oval to return in protest for that. (laughs) But what would it mean to you if the club were to come out sooner rather than later and say, that's it, pen to paper, it's done, Jess Kennedy, you're now officially a Richmond AFLW player?
2: Um, oh, I'd be yeah incredibly um, humbled and and honoured. Um, but my goal at the moment is not about AFLW. It's literally about every week playing the best possible footy that I can that I can play. And um, I feel like I've spent a fair bit of time in the environment now where I know that you know there's some super talented um, players here and um, that. Um, my job at the moment is to get the best out of myself and and enjoy what I'm doing. Um, So, yeah, I I guess at other stages of the year or earlier in the year or last year, I probably was driven to that. And and what I don't want to do is get um, too far away from what I'm doing day to day um, because I, I enjoy what I'm doing at the moment and I don't want to take any of that enjoyment away.
1: Now, at the moment so thank you for your support. <laughs> now, now, at the moment, you're involved in physiotherapy outside of uh, football at the moment with your own practice in Bendigo. Um, as you were talking about, we all have limited time. You turned 29 this year, but I believe you still got many good years left in front of you. But like any footballer naturally, once they pass the big three O, they start considering what will life be like after uh, their playing days. For you, what are you considering as your role in the sport, if any, um, come the end of your playing days when you finally hang up the boots?
2: Uh, when I finally hang up the boots, I'll, um, I'm sure that um, Jackie has a few more years ahead. So I look forward to being uh, someone rugs up on the sidelines with a coffee in hand. And I
1: should <laughs> and I should quickly throw in a note, there's also Masters rules football now, in case, while well, you go over 35 <laughs> and you want to keep playing.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I'll, um, I'll see yeah, how my body is feeling. Um, And I, as I said, um, we'll see what Jackie's up to and I look forward to being able to um, be a supporter and and also as well, my family has spent, you know, many a weekend coming and and supporting me. So um, investing some time back in um, from my behalf would be be awesome.
1: And finally, one last question before I let you go and I actually asked this of all women's footballers that have managed to play at the top level. What does it mean to you personally when you sit down at the computer, you type in your name, up pops Wikipedia, and it says Jess Kennedy. She was an AFL women's footballer. <laughs>
2: um, I don't, I don't do it too often. I've done it, but not not too often. Um, yeah, it's just it's surreal, um, and I consider myself and my my timing on this earth pretty fortunate. Um, but, you know, what's more exciting is for the girls who are, who are coming through now at, you know, 12 and 13 years old and, and the future that's, that's ahead for them and, and women in sport in general. Um, I think that I, and I hope it continues to grow in the same fashion, not just in Australian rules football, but um, across the board.
1: Well, Jess, thank you very much for being generous with your time, and we wish you all the very best as your Tigers take on the Bulldogs in one of our matches of the day this Saturday at VU Witten Oval. No worries. Thank you very much. Time to go round the world as we look at women's footy being played internationally. Coming up soon, the latest scores in the US AFL, what's happening in AFL Canada and the AFL London Women's League. But... Our attention turns to mainland Europe where the AFL Euro Cup a Side Tournament was played in Sweden over the weekend. And joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival. She was named Player of the Tournament at the a Side Euro Cup held in Sweden over the weekend. They took out the title of the Irish Banshees, and we've got on the line Marae Coyne. Marae, how are you?
3: I'm good, thank you. How are you?
1: Not too bad at all. Great to have you back on the podcast. Can you believe it's been 10 months since we last spoke to you? And when we did, it was face-to-face in Melbourne where you were part of the CrossCoders camp.
3: Yeah, um, it's absolutely crazy. Um, 10 months, it's gone so it's gone so quick. Um, yeah, I remember sitting down face-to-face with you over there in, a, in Melbourne and um, having an interview with you.
1: Well, let's focus on present day, because that's what we want to talk about. The Irish Banshees, the nine-a-side Euro Cup played over the weekend. Before we go uh, game by game, um, how did you personally feel, and the team, coming into this tournament uh, as reigning champions?
3: Um, yeah, we, um, as you know, we had a lot of new girls coming through. We had nine new cops um, coming through into the into the team um we were confident we you know we're a strong team and we we believed in each other to go and um, to get the job done and and that's what we did you know um we on the day it was with the heat and everything like that you know it, it was a factor as well but like we we came together as a team and we finished the day and as you, as European champions
1: Let's have a look at your pool, first of all. Paul, uh, you kicked off the morning at 10am up against the ever-improving Germans and uh, you had to blow off the cobwebs with a bit of a challenge. You won by 40 points in the end, 47-7. to 7.
3: Yeah, um, Germany, they were uh, one of the strongest teams in our pool um, uh, and being our first game as well, you know, uh, uh, take out a few cobwebs, you know, first game, um, but, yeah, we all, as I said, came together and we um, we did very, very well. We had a strategy in play. And Mike was really good there, you know, telling us what to do. And, yeah, we came out winners 47-7 in the end.
1: Let's turn to game two. It seems that's when things clicked into gear with a 91-point victory over the Welsh.
3: Yeah, you know, for when. Once the first game was over, we we knew how each other played, how we all played together, and we knew what we needed to do. And, yeah, the scores just kept coming. And, um, as you say, ninety-one to, to 0 points, you know, you, you have Elio Gorman there in the back who was superb throughout the whole tournament, didn't let any goals in whatsoever, you know, which was absolutely brilliant. Um, as I said, we worked so hard together as a team, and it was, it was superb to, to watch.
1: And the were at the only side you blanked uh, in the next game in Pool A uh, you defeated Croatia 103 to zip to clean sweep Pool A
3: 3-0 Yeah <laughs> um, No uh, offence to Croatia there were quite strong physical team as well when we when we played them you know um, but it was just our scores on the day were absolutely amazing like Onia Stone got four goals there Ashley McAlecki she got three and a few girls like Derva Higgins and Ali Coleman got to, you know, we were kicking them from all angles off the field. As you said, as the game went on, we were getting better and we were playing a lot more better together as a team. And we just put a boot to the ball, you know, and we just topped up the scores.
1: Between that first game and then the next two games where you're clearly more dominant, was there much change to the structure initiated by Mike?
3: Um, yeah, like, you know, we wanted everyone to get game time, just, you know, before, um, we, we would get into the semi-final, you know, we wanted everyone to get the experience and the physicality of each game. Cause as the games went on, they were getting harder and stronger. And as I said, with the weather, it was just so warm. We wanted everyone to get a rest as well between the games and stuff. But like you, we trusted Mike. Mike knows, um, he's the best coach to be honest with you. You know, he's, uh, He's put so much hard work into this team and he knew uh, some girls needed a rest and he knew others needed to get time and, and we trusted in Mike so we went with Mike and, uh, you know, it worked out in the end.
1: Let's have a look at your semi-final. You were taking on the home side, uh, Sweden, who've been in many a semi-final campaigns, finishing at uh, third and fourth across a number of Euro Cups and you would defeat them in the end by a smaller margin, 50-6. to six.
3: Yeah, we had a bit of a break there before the semi-final. You know, we're all, I think we're just a bit tired and sluggish going into this game. But, you know, again, um, we pulled ourselves out in the second half of the, the the game and we kind of pushed on towards that. Our first half was a bit sluggish. Um, it started to rain a little bit as well in, in the semi-final. But, um, you know, as I said, in the first half, we were a bit sluggish getting our scores. We were getting a lot of behinds. Um, and then in the second half we just pulled away. Um, but like fair play to Swedish uh, Ravens, like they they put it up to us in the first in the first quarter in the first quarter, and the, um, they kept bringing their defense back, so we we didn't have much space. But in the second half we opened them up a little bit more. And we got our scores in the end.
1: Being played at the same time was the other semi-final, which would decide who you'd go up against in the grand final. Did you actually? catch wind of the score straight after your game of what happened in that other match where England got out by the skin of their teeth, 24 to 19 against the Germans.
3: Yeah, we, um, we didn't know until we, um, kind of a few minutes after the game, how, um, close to England and the, um, German games was, But um, we played German earlier on in the game and it was there, it was in our first game that we played them, um, but yeah, we didn't realise it. it was the only one by five, six points in the end. Um, so we knew um, it was going to be a physical game all against the English victims, you know. But um, yeah, it was a bit of a shock how Germany came back within six points within against England.
1: So that meant you would take on the English in the grand final and over, well, since 2013, the pattern had been England, Ireland, England, Ireland, England, Ireland, uh, virtually the last few years of who would won. You were the reigning champions and if things went to the pattern, that means the English would win. How much pressure was on the side? Did you feel that pressure of trying to do the rarity of going back to back when history was suggesting it was going to be England's turn again to win the cup?
3: Oh yeah, there was a lot of uh, nerves before the game. You could see it in all the girls' faces when we were warming up and we were doing the team talk and everything, you know. But we knew we had such an amazing squad of girls who was willing to go out there and to give it everything for the last uh, 24 minutes of the game, you know. Um, but you know, it's all it's always good to have nerves as well before a game, you know. So if you weren't nervous before this game, you know there must have been something wrong, but you know. Um, we we went out there and we gave it absolutely everything. You know, it was it was say England went uh, two goals ahead of us and we didn't panic. We knew that was going to happen, you know, um, and we just came back and we uh, fought out to the end.
1: Yeah, it was very close at half-time. There was essentially a kick in it and the England defence was holding up well. But it seemed to be in the second half your structures were working better. You seemed to move the ball more into the central corridor and you just kept forcing England wide with long kicks down the line that you found easy to repel.
3: Yeah, in the first half, England had a a sweeper back in front of her um, forward line as well. So we knew our strategy wasn't going to work with the long ball in all the time. So we had to you know, spread them wide and, and use the the width of the pitch, which was great, which we which we did and we adopted to. And um, we were kicking scores from all angles in the end, you know, and some great marks from, like, Onya Staunton in there and from um, Ali Coleman as well in the back line. And it was great. Like, you know, we, we just gelled so well. It was just absolutely an amazing weekend.
1: And, of course, you'd go out champion 6-7, 43 to 2-1, 13, uh, with that dominant uh, second-half performance to, for the first time, beat the England Vixens back-to-back to, back to claim the Euro Cup. For yourself, personally, you had, of course, with the Champions League, uh, with the West Clare Ways, were named in the team of the tournament. You were named in the team of the tournament again for the Euro Cup, and you were named player of the tournament. What does that mean for you personally, to be recognized as the best women's footballer in this night Side tournament?
3: Yeah, um, to be honest, it was a bit of a shock when they uh, when they called my name. I, um, I wasn't expecting it whatsoever. Um, it's absolutely amazing um, to be named player of the tournament, but it wouldn't. I wouldn't have been named to play the tournament if it wasn't for all the girls who've um, helped me throughout the whole entire um, uh, European Cup uh, tournament and throughout the Westway Clay Westway Clay West Clare, sorry West Claire Ways and um, and if it wasn't for Mike who, who believed in me and and to bring me along to all these competitions, you know, um, I wouldn't be recognised for any of this, you know. Um, but I'm absolutely honoured to even put on any type of um, the green jersey for any sports for Ireland. And like I said, I think uh, uh, rugby for Ireland as well and to be represented in Ireland in AFL, it's absolutely amazing. <laughs>
1: Continuing on the Irish theme for a moment, coming up in October is the AFL European Championships, which are held every three years, which is the proper 18-a-side tournament. Have you thrown your name into the ring to be considered for selection for October?
3: Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, we have the uh, Super 7th League as well, which is sponsored by the Australian Tax Solutions as well. So, like, playing with dance as well has, you know, seen me play... Um, hoping to be selected for um, London as well so hopefully it all depends you know on on training and stuff and how that all goes and everything like that but hopefully I'll be putting my um, hand forward for the selection of that as well
1: and just back to you uh, personally again, um, how do you feel your approach to Australian football has changed since September? What has happened to you uh, post CrossCoders camp and your knowledge, and I guess trying to improve your skills in Australian football with the hope of uh, scoring a semi-professional contract in the AFLW? Uh, since the Crosscode's camp, I've fallen in love
3: with AFL. It's just it's just absolutely an amazing sport, I absolutely love it. Like any chance I can, I'd be outside with the with the football, you know, kicking it around and stuff like, and to get on, as I said, to be part of the Banshees and the part of the group that was selected is just absolutely amazing. And, you know, down the line, you know, I could go back, you know, to the cross coders again and, um, you know, hope for the best that I'll be selected for a team over at Australia, but um, I'm just taking it step-by-step, step, uh, improving my game as as the months go on, you know, and try and get as many tournaments in and games in as they go along and just hope for the best.
1: Well, Mireille, thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. Congratulations again on being player of the tournament and congratulations to the Irish Banshees as a squad on being Euro Cup champions back-to-back.
3: Thank you very much.
1: So the Irish Banshees champions in the Niner Side Euro Cup. England runners-up for a second year in a row. And congratulations for Germany improving again, finishing in third place at this year's Euro Cup. The hosts, Sweden, finishing fourth. Let's turn our attention now quickly to Canada. No women's footy was played on the weekend in the Great North, but we can look ahead to tell you that the AFL Ontario competition has a match. Round six being played this Saturday at 2pm at Humber College South, where the Central Blues play host to the Ottawa Swans. Over in Quebec, Sunday at 2pm, the Montreal City Bluebells uh, play host to the Plateau eagles there in montreal to the united states australian football league two games played over the weekend in the eastern afl women's competition new york three five 23 went down to the washington dc philadelphia boston combination four one 25 While over on the west coast at napa valley san francisco nine five fifty nine smashed sacramento who didn't get on the scoreboard Time to come back home and check out the State League's competitions to the West Australian Football League women's competition round A played over the weekend where East Fremantle five seven 37 defeated Swan District's four five twenty nine. Peel Thunder, just the one behind, went down to Claremont. 6.30. Round 9 action is this Saturday for both games. 10am at David Gray's Arena. Pill Thunder play host to East Fremantle, while Swan Districts play host to Subiaco at 12.05pm at Steel Blue Oval. That is being the live streamed game as well. <music> Joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival from AFL Queensland, we've got Ant Wingard. Ant, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Freezing cold in Melbourne, probably slightly warmer (laughs) weather up there in Queensland, where Round 10 was played over the weekend. All kicked off, actually, on a Friday night where Cooparoo got the better of Yoronga South Brisbane.
4: Yeah, obviously a bit different playing under the the Friday night life, but uh, obviously it was Cooparoo who could, you know, kind of consolidate their season a little bit uh, with a win against, you know, one of their probably most storied rivals in in Yoronga, and really a fast start from Kuperew is kind of laid the foundations for that win. And, you know, a few goals to Janae Govan that um, came from kind of quick transition play from the Kings through the middle of the ground. And um, I think Jess Wishner was exceptional across halfway back, just pretty much mopped up everything and um, really did make it tough for Yoronga. So, a good win for Kuperew, who, you know, they've improved their standing. Um, still kind of sit outside the finals bracket but have broken even with UQ
1: and Koolingada now so you know they'll be looking to kind of build on that in the weeks ahead. And how good for Hannah Hillman uh, playing her first game for Cooparoo for 2019 and getting best on ground honours?
4: Yeah it's, it's the start that probably everyone wants and lucky for Hannah she was able to kind of contribute for the team and um, you know she was just one of plenty of kings I suppose with Walsh and uh, Jade Aller through the middle to, to really uh, play their role really well and obviously that goes a long way to, to getting the win which they did
1: who could have seen this upset coming and in such a fashion the reigning premiers Wilson Grange gorillas just three behind absolutely hornets 91064 whack yeah it was a, a bit of a surprising result I don't think I think most people
4: expected the game to be closer or at least asley. Uh, who were probably underdogs in the contest to to kind of put up a fight and maybe come out with some kind of small win, but to to produce the score that they did, 61 points is, is just ridiculous. And it was really great to see Aspley, uh just get another win. I know it, that sounds a bit vanilla, but they've had a uh, you know a few lean weeks in between their last win back in round one over a really undermanned uh, Cooper side. So for Aspley, massive for them and it was it it was just nice to see you know some of the the kind of foundations that they've been building and the the things that they've been doing right throughout that lean stretch of the middle of the season you know that still was there but they just added that polish moving inside 50 and um, you know that obviously got them another win and they they must be wrapped
1: Am I correct in seeing they're in the best GWS footballer Renee Tompkins?
4: Yeah yeah that's her so um, she's obviously made the move up from uh, East Eagles, I think, from in the Sydney comp. I think I, I might be saying that wrong, but yeah, she obviously played her first game for the Hornets, and um, her addition, I suppose, really paid dividends quite quickly because uh, the ball didn't really go into the Wilson Grange forward line too much when it when it was in there. Um, you know, it was it was her and uh, Lucy Thompson that kind of helped them mop up, up and really shore things up back there, and obviously moving forward. Uh, Lucia Lisi with four goals as a 16- uh, or 17-year-old, which is a good way to start your uh, your senior uh, women's football career as well.
1: Let's look to the Bond University versus UQ Red Lions game. And in the Battle of the Universities, it was the Bullsharks, 10-9-69, defeating the Red Lions 2-3-15. Mm, it was a contest that, uh,
4: quite similar to, to Cooper, who's win over Yeronga in in a way where Bond... Uh, really did get a fast start. Um, You know, obviously the the scoreboard at quarter time, two goals through 15 to just the one point, you know, tells some kind of the story. But Bond University just peppered inside 50 throughout that opening term and it really did set the tone. UQ kind of broke even throughout the middle stages of the game, but it was kind of, you know, by that stage a, a little too late and, Obviously, after half time, they struggled to add any more scores, and Bond continued to run away. But um, I don't, there's not really much else to say about Bond University. They're such a a well drilled side, talented, well coached, uh, younger players, experienced players, and it it really is just the the full um, unit, I suppose. And I just want to touch on on one player, Tiana Earth. I know. you know, she's probably one of the well, the more well-known players in the team and in the competition, but uh, she was swung forward um, on on the weekend against UQ, played kind of as a, a hit-up uh, centre-half forward role, um, kicked the one goal, but I think, uh, you know, most of her work helped set up uh, the likes of Kalinda Howard with you know, who booted three. Um, her influence on the game was just fantastic. <laughs>
1: And to the final game of the round, Maruchidor, 4 defeating 33 defeating Gutta Tweed, 3 yeah, two twenty.
4: This was a bit of an arm wrestle, and I suppose, for, for these two teams who were quite evenly matched, I think, um, throughout most of the, the season so far. Um, the scoreboard obviously reflects that. And uh, Kulangata, I think they would have liked their chances early on when they, they got that fast start in the game. But Maroochidore, to their credit, they stuck to it. Uh, a few really good contested marks to Shannon Campbell, uh, you know, gave them the opportunity to, to hit the scoreboard. And obviously she did with three goals. She's in some ripping form. Um, and, you know, I know we've mentioned it before and, and almost every week, but there's kind of a theme with Cool and Gutter. You know, they'll get a fast start to the year. They did the same last year and they really have found uh, a, a bit of a rut lately. And, you um, you know, hopefully they can get out of it. But with that log jam in the middle, um, you know, they've gone loss, win, loss, win, loss over the past five weeks. So they have some kind of inconsistency to iron out. So hopefully they can do that by the end of the year.
1: Let's look ahead to round 11. Uh, all games being played this Saturday, the 6th of July. First of all, 2.45pm at Leishon Park, Yoronga South Brisbane versus Maroochydore.
4: This is a massive test for Maroochydore. Um, obviously, against the Yoronga side above them on the ladder. But, um, you know, Maruchidor they are in that uh, kind of gridlock in the middle of the ladder. And uh, we might mention that too often, but that's kind of the reality of the competition at this season where uh, it's so competitive, so many teams are uh, even, and there's only four spots in finals. Um, It's a crucial game for Maruchidor who could jag a win over Yoronga who uh, were on the back foot a little bit against Kuperu. The, The talent's still there, and they were without... Uh, a few of their kind of mainstays uh, in the loss to Cooparoo. But, I mean, if, if Mitchell can, uh, you know, sneak away with the win here, it'd be massive for them and uh, go a long way into kind of
1: securing a maiden finals berth for the team. At 3.45pm, the UQ Red Lions play host to Kupuru. Now This one, I feel like the loser
4: of this. How many rounds do we have left? We've probably got uh, only a few rounds, uh, maybe a month or so left. Uh, in the home and away season, so games like this, UQ, Kuperu, uh a bit like Yoronga and Muchero, I, I said we'd kind of mentioned it a bit, but uh, for the two teams, they're both five and five. It's just a massive game in the scope of the season, and you really feel like uh, whoever it, uh, whoever you know drops a game could potentially be the one to to fall out of uh, finals and um, really spell the end of that. So. Uh, UQ hopefully will get a, a few players back. Uh, Brie Conan and Nat Grider, they both didn't play last week. And uh, Cooper, uh might get a few of their uh, under-18 academy girls back. But with Nationals early next week, I feel like that will be unlikely. So uh, a massive contest indeed.
1: 4.45pm at Vauxhall Oval. The Absolute Hornets. Ouch, here comes the reality check versus Bond University. <laughs>
4: yeah. It, it kind of goes from, from one, you know, game. It is a week-by-week sport, um, that old cliche in the coach's box. that Aspley, you know, it's a massive win one week and they got to back it up against a lot of the lot leaders. It's, you know, a bit unfortunate maybe uh, for the Hornets. But, you know, they played Bond a few weeks ago and Bond uh, gave a, mid- a bit of a touch-up on the scoreboard. But Aspley's pressure um, around the contest, they're tackling really match Bond. So... If they can kind of replicate that and then you know, add that forward 50 entry and that uh, movement of the footy that they had against Wilson Greens last week, then who really knows? But obviously, you know, Bond University remain the, the pinnacle uh, of the competition at this point. So, you know, you probably expect them to come away with another four points.
1: And in the final game of the round, 4.45pm at Higgy Park, the Wilson Grange Gorillas versus Cullingatta Tweed.
4: In this game, it's probably a, an opportunity for both teams to uh, kind of put last week's loss behind them because I, I think both teams. Uh, I know I spoke to Matt Bedford, the Coolangatta uh, coach, before the game, and um, he was really keen to put in a good effort against Maroochydore, and I'm sure Wilson Grange uh, were the same against Aspie last week. So, you know, after their you know rather disappointing loss. This is a, You know, kind of when you look at it from a club perspective, both teams would be really, really keen to get back on the winners' list this week. And, you know, you'd probably favour Cool and Gatter in a game like this, but Wilson Grange, um, you know, probably gave Cool and Gatter their their worst loss of the season a few weeks ago. So you never really know how that could eventuate either. So this game, you know, like the others, massive implications in the season, probably too hard to tell
5: until the final sirens out.
1: Well, Anne, thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival, and we look forward to hearing from you again next week when we take a look back at Round Eleven of the QAFLW competition.
4: Uh, no worries. Thanks for having me.
1: To the Tasmanian State League women's competition, round nine played over the weekend. North Launceston, 3-2-20, defeated Clarence, one three nine. 9 Lauderdale, no score, went down to Launceston, 21-18, 144. While Glenorchy, 12-12-84, defeated Tigers, one 7 13. Looking ahead to round 10 action on Saturday 4.30pm at UTAS Stadium, North Launceston play host to Glenorchy. Sunday 12pm at Lauderdale Sports Ground, Lauderdale play host to Clarence. Well, at 1pm at Twin Ovals, Tigers play host to Launceston. Let's check out some scores for the UNSW Canberra First Grade Women's Competition, round 9 played over the weekend. Ainsley Tricolors 2-3-15, defeated by Eastlake Demons 5-7-37. Tugranong Hawks 11-14-80, defeated by Jets, Jets, no score. Quimby and Tigers, 95.59 defeated the Balkan and Magpies, 3 And joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival to take a look back at the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division Round 11. It's great to have on the line Lauren Hodgson. Lauren, how are you? Yeah, good, thanks, Peter. How are you? Well, excited that finals are starting to appear on the horizon as we pass the halfway mark for the year. And we see Round 11 football, and goodness gracious me, the East Coast Eagles, is this a record? 31-23, 209 against Newtown Breakaways, no score. Look, if it's not a record, it
0: would have to be very close to it, Peter. Um, I mean, look, East Coast Eagles came out and kicked 8 5 First quarter, um, look they. I think they did even better than that in the second quarter, kicking uh, eight, eight, and yeah, look they. They just went from strength to strength. I think they kicked eight, 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 seven. So um, you know the the Newtown breakaways uh never had a chance. And, and whilst in some ways we've seen uh, a lot, um, you know, a, a bit of competitiveness in the competition like year, some of these big results are coming uh, more common, which I, I don't think the a good uh, look for uh, women's
1: hoodie. No, it isn't. And uh, let's hope that uh, the Newtown breakaways are able to get a win or two on the board near the end of the year, but more importantly, uh, during the off season, are able to recruit some uh, star players to help turn things around for them and uh, get them back to a once uh, dominant position that they were in a few years yeah, ago. Let's hope,
0: let's hope they can. And, and just before we do go to the next game, I should mention the goal kickers for uh, the Eagles, um, Elizabeth Wilson with seven, Shannon Smith with four, and, and Riley McGartland with four, and, uh, yeah, numerous others. But, uh, yeah, look, they're uh, they're dominating in their uh, first year. And, I mean, talk about off-season recruits. ever uh, certainly done a, a good job of uh, building their side.
1: Let's look at the 1 p.m. game on Saturday that was between the Inner West Magpies and the UNSW Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs. The Magpies 2-1-13 going down to the Bulldogs 8 fifty six.
0: Yeah, so look I, um it was close uh in the first quarter whilst the, the Magpies didn't get on the scoreboard. Even at half time there was only twenty points in it, but uh the Magpies couldn't get on uh, couldn't add to their score in the third quarter whilst the uh, Bulldogs managed to kick uh two, three of their own in the in the third quarter. So, um yeah, look disappointing for the Magpies. They would have seen this as a chance to uh to uh jag another win. Um Bec Privatelli was, a, again, great up forward for the Bulldogs, um, you know, coming back from uh, the Giants VFLW. So uh, they'd be, the Bulldogs would be happy to get back on the winner's board, Peter.
1: We go across to the third game where Macquarie University, 11-6-72, defeated the Sydney Uni Bombers, just one behind. A surprise at that, that being a one-sided result in such a way.
0: Yeah, look, I, I thought Uni would win, but definitely surprised by the margin and the fact that, uh, look, Really, Sydney Uni didn't uh, didn't trouble the scoreboard at all. Um, it was pretty even effort across the board for Mac Uni. Um, Giants captain Miranda Ferruja was great up forward with three. Uh, Laura Russell was two of her own and, and Megan Keely got two of her own as well. But uh, yeah, look, disappointing um, result obviously for Sydney Uni and uh, yeah, quite surprising the margin there.
1: And finally to Waratah over where the Southern Power got up in a thriller, 5 thirty two 32 to the UTS Bats, 4 twenty
0: seven. Yeah, so the closest game lost around. Um, these two sides have had some really close games probably over the last three or four seasons, Peter, uh, and, um, yeah, expecting nothing less uh, in, in, in this game. It was close right throughout. There was never more than, I think, seven points in it, so... Um, as I said, it's what we've come to expect. Uh, Brooke Curran kicked two for the power, as did Ree Lotta and uh, and Sandra Ryan and Lillian B uh, Cregan and Georgia B were the goal kickers for the the bat. So um, yeah, these two sides continue a, a really competitive and, and strong rivalry, and it's you know given the other results, it's good to see a close game.
1: Absolutely, and congratulations to the Southern Power there on the victory. Let's go across to Round 12 matches. All games are being played on Saturday, the 6th of July, 10.40am. We begin at Mac Uni where the Warriors play host to the UTS Bats.
0: Yeah, look, I think the Warriors are going to do this one and and do it quite comfortably. Um, we've just seen how they disposed of uh, the Sydney Uni Bombers, so uh, I don't think uh, the Bats are going to cause them any problems.
1: Eleven ten a.m. at Village Green. It's the sub- Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs versus the Southern Power.
0: Yeah, look, this potentially could be the closest game and most competitive of the round. I think, Peter. Um, they've had a, a couple of close clashes this year, and uh, look, I think um, I think it'll be another close one, and, and I think Power might just um, might just get the Bulldogs here.
1: 12.40pm at Sydney Uni. The Bombers play host to the East Coast Eagles.
0: Yeah, look, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I would have said I think this will be a close one. But given the Bombers uh, were were definitely shown up by Mac Uni and, and the Eagles um, had such a massive win, even uh, taking into account what it as the breakaway, um, I, think, uh, I think the East Coast Eagles will um, have another good win. Not by 200 points, but, um, yeah, I think they'll win comfortably
1: at 1pm at Pick and Oval, the Inner West Magpies versus the Newtown Breakaways.
0: Yeah, look, this should be a, a closer contest. Um, I think the the Breakaways, um, you know, if they they start well and can get um, on the scoreboard early, um, I think there might be a, a bit of a chance. And uh, I'm going to tip them um, for their first win of the season and to break that hoodoo um, by listing a goal.
1: Well, Lauren, thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. We look forward to catching up with you next week when we review AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division Round 12.
2: Yeah,
0: looking forward to it, Peter.
1: And joining us now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival to talk about Round 8 of the Swiss Wellness VFL Women's Competition. We've got on the line our lead caller in Matthew Cox. Coxie, how are you?
5: Still thawing out after the weekend's trip up to Queen Elizabeth Oval. The day started out beautifully and then turned uh, ugly as we were leaving the ground. It uh, became quite cold and wet, so still thawing out after that, but uh, another big weekend of Swiss Wellness VFLW action to mark the halfway point of the 2019 season.
1: Well, I hope you've got your game face on to have a look at this round of football. Let's begin, first of all, by going to Icon Park, a seven-point thriller the Cat's Way.
5: Yeah, it was. And good to see that the Cats have bounced into some great form. Uh, they had a couple of key players back on the weekend. Notice Maddie Boyd was named uh, among the goal kickers for them. Um, and having a look down the list, they had a couple of other familiar faces. Uh, we had Jordan Ivey, Olivia Purcell, which of course was one of their draftees heading into the AFLW season. Played VFLW last year. Uh, Crockett Grills, who's been in the side for most of the year, was also playing. And we had uh, returning to the side, the former skipper of the VFLW side uh – Uh, Goring was back in on the weekend for the Cats. So uh, some experience to to help them out on the weekend. They've uh, had a sluggish start to the season. They've been competitive in games, but just lacking that bit of experience and class, and it looks like they got that back on the weekend. Carlton, on the other side of the equation, a little lost and puzzled at the moment because they also had a number of AFLW stars in their selected team on the weekend. So just a little concerned about the way they tracking at the moment. Again, similar to Geelong's start to the season, Carlton have been competitive. But when it comes to the crunch, they just haven't been able to get over the line, which will be uh, curious to see how they rectify that in the back half of the season, given they made the grand final in the AFLW in 2019. The goal kickers from the weekend for the Cats score kicked three, as I mentioned. Maddie Boyd kicked one. And Sophie van der Heuvel kicked one as well for Geelong. Whilst for Carlton... Uh, Nicholas Stevens, who seems to be playing a more forward role in 2019 in the VFLW season, she kicked two goals. Craig kicked one, and Brianne Moody kicked one. As we have a look at the stats, 52% of them went the way, uh, for possession that is, went the way of Geelong, 48 to Carlton. And beyond that, fairly even, hit outs exactly the same, 36 apiece. Uh, Inside fifties only separated by one, the way of Geelong, uh, the kicks uh, had a healthy advantage to the Cats, but beyond that, um, it, it seems fairly similar. So, a contest around the ground, just a little more effective going inside 50 Geelong. Leading possession getters on the ground. This is something Carlton will be pleased about. They had the top three on the day. McKay had 24 touches. Prasparkas also had 24. Pound had 20. So, three of the leading possession getters on the weekend when Carlton's way for Geelong. Olivia Purcell was there best with 20 touches.
1: For the Cats at the moment, they sit ninth on the premiership table, three positions outside the top six, but just one win away. So they're there amongst a group of three teams, all on three wins and four losses. For Carlton, they currently sit 11th. That's third last with just the one win and five losses. So, to Downer Oval in Weemstown. Uh, many of the pundits had this down as a comfortable NT Thunder victory. I did say on the midweek show last week, I said if Weemstown were to be any hope, you need some good old fashioned Weemstown weather at Downer Oval. It needed a bucket down, howling rain, just those miserable winter conditions. And the Melbourne weather turned it on cue for the Seagulls, and the result went their way.
5: Yeah, is this where I give you credit, Pete, or am I just continuing to push on?
1: No, no, this is where you give me credit.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, jeez. Yeah, well, the the weather in Melbourne, absolutely shocking on the weekend. Uh, No surprise that Williamstown, who you make a good point because their footballers, on the Williamstown list, as we've said all the year, they're fairly green when it comes to the state league competition. Uh, they're not that skillful. They haven't got that class yet that uh, some of the other state league sides have. So when it becomes a bit of a scrap, it does go their favour because especially when you've got rain and howling wind, as no doubt they would have had it down oval on the weekend, um, to get the ball forward at all costs almost comes to the fore and the Northern Territory Thunder the way they play they're very skillful they like to try and set up a little more strategically they like to use their pace as well um, and I'd Doubt whether they would have got much of a chance to be able to do that on the weekend. At quarter time, the scores were level, just one behind apiece, which I think gives an indication until uh, on how the uh, game played out. Williamstown failed to score in the second term. Northern Territory Thunder were able to pile it on, but they only piled on uh, behind, kicking three behinds and one goal in the second term. They then didn't score in the third term. At the other end of the ground, which was obviously the scoring end, Williamstown were able to break away, kicking three goals one in the Premiership quarter, which basically set up their victory. Northern Territory looked like they had uh, the wind in the final term, but all behinds they registered. Five behinds in the final term was enough. Williamstown were able to get a major in the final term, which secured their win, a great win for them. Um, I know the conditions would have definitely played in their favour, but you have to take it when you get it. And... The the side would have got a lot of confidence out of the match on the weekend, I'm guessing, because to beat the Northern Territory Thunder, they're there or thereabouts when it comes to the classier sides of the competition. Uh, Definitely, when they've got all their talent in, they're one of the better sides as well. But to get a victory like that is very impressive. And again, just ticking those little boxes as Williamstown, we've said it a couple of times this season they just continue to get the small wins on the board, success is going to come their way. And it's a, a great story in a way for the VFLW that they've been able to get on uh, the board so early in the season too. I think they would have been uh, able to get a win in the back half of the season, but to get it in round eight, quite impressive for the Seagulls. Their goal kickers on the weekend, Anderson, Hurd, Kawa and Williamson. DeMello was the only goal scorer on the weekend for the Northern Territory Thunder. The time in possession, largely the same 52% to Williamstown, 48% to the Northern Territory Thunder. Uh, the inside 50s, interestingly, went the way of the Thunder 32 to 22. So, a, a quite uh, significant. Uh, um, difference there. Uh, 90 tackles to 77 going the way of Williamstown too, so they applied a plenty of pressure on the ball carrier, which was fantastic. The leading possession getters on the ground, Moana Hope again up the top with 32 touches on the weekend. 28 of them were kicks Nice to see from a traditionalist's perspective. Four handballs, also laid three tackles and took three marks. Uh, And Van Hagen was the leading possession getter for the Northern Territory Thunder with 23 touches. Again, had 19 kicks and four handballs, throwing the modern football uh, way of playing out the door, which is nice to see. Took six marks and laid two tackles.
1: Williamstown get off the bottom of the ladder. They move to 12th with one win and five losses. For the NT Thunder, they slide to fifth, four wins and three losses. We head across to VU Witten Oval. It's strange to look at it. Um, A few weeks ago, we would have been talking about one of the top teams versus the reigning premiers. The Bulldogs have been on the slide. uh, 1-8 going down to Hawthorne, 4-9-33.
5: Opposites. Uh, ends of the story, isn't it? The William, uh, sorry, Western Bulldogs have, have found themselves in a bit of a pickle. I mean, it's not disastrous. They're still inside the top six, uh, and I think they've, the ledger is their way: four wins, three losses, off the top of my head for the season to date. So it's not completely disastrous. But even those wins earlier in the season, um, they weren't convincing wins in my eyes. I only saw one of them against Williamstown and even when they played then, yes, it was their first game of the season, but uh, just the the, the style that they played, it was not, convincing in my eyes and it's just for one reason or another they, they haven't in the last couple of weeks been able to uh to get over the line uh, and put together some consistent games and on the weekend that was another scenario of course the weather would have played havoc it played havoc everywhere on saturday across victoria the hawthorne were able to grind it out uh, again they were inaccurate on the scoreboard kicking four goals nine Uh, most of those coming in the opening term uh, with uh, two goals, six. They didn't score in the second term. Uh, The Bulldogs did, um, and then uh, from there, the the story went the way of Hawthorne. They're slowly getting into the season, uh, similar to the Bulldogs. They're not convincing me at the moment. Their form line is incredibly hard to read at the halfway point of the season. I would have expected them to probably sit a little higher on the ladder and have a few more wins. They've dropped a couple of games that I would have thought they uh, would have penciled in at the start of the season, but it's not hit the panic button stage for them just yet. They've got uh, time to find form and heading into uh, the finals, which I still think that they will make and will certainly influence come the end of the season. The goal kickers for them on the weekend, Dylan kicked one, McWilliams, Perkins and pesky kicked goals on the weekend for Hawthorne, whilst it was Bailey Hunt, the only goal kicker on the weekend for the Western Bulldogs. Uh, again, looking at the stats, fairly uh, fairly similar kicks uh, with, with there was only about a four differential their way Handballs heavily in the favour of hawthorne ninety three to sixty one the marks similar again there was only about a five differential the way of hawthorne tackles uh, was a major difference one hundred and one to eighty on the weekend uh, and the inside fifty is nine going the way of the Hawks as well. So they got a fair bit of the footy, were able to apply a bit of pressure and got the result on the weekend. Beeson was the leading possession getter for Hawthorne on the weekend, uh, had 26 touches, 18 of them kicks, eight handballs, eight tackles as well. So a great performance from uh, Beeson and, uh, And uh, I think it's uh, McKay, yes it is, Uh, number 34. She uh, was the leading possession getter for the Western Bulldogs on the weekend with 18 touches, took six marks and laid three tackles.
1: At the moment, Hawthorne sit fourth on the table, with four wins and three losses. Just two wins behind the leading three with the Western Bulldogs sitting in sixth on four wins and three losses. But sniping at their heels is three other teams, the Bulldogs with a weaker percentage out of teams four, five, and six. As we go across to the Southern Saints and Darabin game, the Southern Saints 6-7-43, defeating the Falcons 2 four sixteen, 16 keeping Darabin on the bottom of the table.
5: Yeah, well, uh, returning to the bottom after uh, being second last last week after their victory against Williamstown uh, just over a week ago. Uh, The Southern Saints, but they have to be one of the favourites for the flag. I'm declaring that now. They uh, are are up there. They're one of the... Their structured sides of the competition. Their accountability across the board is sensational for such a young team. I know they're starting to filter in a little bit of experience and players that have played in an AFLW program, but some of those youngsters, the the local talent that's in that side is really lifting, Um, and and I think that's the difference. When we look at the AFLW clubs in the competition – You've obviously got your standout stars that they, they manage uh, throughout the AFLW, and that's the class and the poise that most teams get. The, it's the bottom six, I suppose, the, the mixture of local talent, the developing talent that's coming out of the under competition, and your mid-range players. They're the ones that, that uh, provide the strength uh, across the field. And to me, the Southern Saints have, have that strongest point at the moment. The only thing that lets them down slightly is just that lack of, a little bit of, of inexperience, but that's going to come with time. And when you've got a coach like Peter Searle, um, but they, to me, they, they are one of the favourites for the flag this year. Uh, I think it's too early to declare an absolute favourite at this point, but they're different, definitely in consideration. Darabin, as we've discussed the last couple of weeks, um They're they're a rebuilding side, uh, similar to Williamstown. They're pulling in a lot of young talent, a lot of local footy talent to try and top up the side. Lauren Arnell was in there on the weekend. She kicked a goal. Hammond kicked a goal too, which was an absolute beauty. If you haven't yet seen it on social media, uh, go to uh, the, the VFL Twitter account or the VFL page uh, and you'll be able to find it. It's a, uh, a, a basically a long bomb from beyond the centre circle that she just whacked on the boot. It landed about 25 metres out and was uh, able to bounce and dribble through. So a, a highlight there for the Darabin Falcons on what was a, a fairly ordinary day for them comprehensively defeated on the weekend. The goal kickers for the Southern Saints. Greiser kicked three. Nice to see that she got multiple goals on the weekend. And if we have a look at her uh, disposals quickly as I uh, flip down the ladder and try to find her, because one of the, the I suppose, bit, uh, bit I've been critical with Greiser on is just her influence around the, the footy. Uh, unfortunately, it only looks like she collected six disposals on the weekend. Uh, for the Southern Saints, but her three goals was enough to to have an impact. I think she's dynamite up forward and just on the verge of clicking. Hasn't quite clicked yet for the Southern Saints. The other goal kickers for them on the weekend, Darcy Guttridge kicked one, Johnson kicked one, and Silver kicked one as well. The leading possession getters on the ground. Interestingly, it went the way of the Darabin Falcons with Reddy Hicks racking up 25 touches, laid 13 tackles as well. Uh, Vesely, the leading possession getter on the ground on the weekend for the Southern Saints with 22 touches and six tackles.
1: Southern Saints at the moment sit second on the premiership table and they are just percentage behind Collingwood on top of the table and ahead on percentage of Richmond who have six wins and no losses but have played one game less than the top two. As we go to the Richmond versus Casey Demons match, it was our match of the day uh, on Sunday at the QEO in Bendigo, an entertaining game of football, a healthy crowd in attendance and it was the Tigers 9-11-65 defeating the Demons 4-2-26.
5: Yeah, interesting to look at the possession uh, or time in possession percentage from the weekend. 59% went the way of the Tigers, 41% went the way of Casey. And particularly early on in the first half, uh, that's how the game was played out. Richmond had a lot of the footy, they were possessing it, they were trying to get it inside 50, but they were a little. Uh, ineffective, and that's actually the other the other stat. 31 inside 50 to 22 on the weekend. Um, Richmond, they, they, they just weren't functioning forward of centre. Um, at times, they'd leave enough space for someone like a stall smith to run into. Uh, Laura Bailey was also quite handy up forward. Katie Brenham, when she was inside 50, although she played most of the game uh, up the ground. Um, but they were just... They just didn't seem to use the footy as efficiently as what they would have liked. They were inaccurate on the scoreboard, which kept Casey in the game. They kicked uh, well. There was only a five-point margin in favour of the Tigers at quarter time. Two goals, five two straight. Um, Richmond then they they kicked another goal and five behinds in the second term. Casey still in touch with with one major. So they just kept. Uh, They just kept nibbling away, Casey. And then in the third term, it changed around. Casey were the side that weren't making the most of their opportunities. They had their hands on the footy and just couldn't apply the scoreboard pressure that they needed to in the third term. Richmond were able to get one goal on the board in that third term, which, which was enough just to, to, to keep them at bay. And then the floodgates opened in the final term. Richmond finally broke away. They started to link up. I think some of the younger players for Casey started to fatigue, which allowed the the chain to be... Uh, loosened off for the Tigers, and they were able to run away in the end. Quite a, a healthy margin going their way. As I said, Bailey kicked three goals for them. Stall smith also prominent up forward with three goals. Katie Brennan contributed with a major. Jess Kennedy also kicked the goal, as did Milford. The Casey Demons, Emerson kicked one. McDonough kicked one. Sheriff and Zanka were the other goal kickers on the weekend for them. Um, and as I was mentioning before with the stats... Uh, the the 31 inside 50s to 22. There was a clear direction there from for, for Richmond. Uh, the tackles were fairly even. The marks there was a 16 uh, differential between Richmond and Casey going the Tigers way. Uh, the kicks was also. Uh, quite substantially in favour of the Tigers as well. So they possessed a lot of the footy, just weren't clean and could have uh, sewn up the game early on. Katie Brennan, in addition to her goal, racked up 23 touches on the weekend, took three marks, laid one tackle. Eden Zanker was a standout player on the weekend uh, for us in the commentary box. In addition to her 19 touches around the ground, uh, racked up 10 hitouts, laid three tackles, took one mark as well. Was really impressive. Uh, for Casey, and I think it's the best game that I've certainly seen her play. She was agile enough around the ground to to create a threat. She was prominent inside 50, and when she went into the ruck, she was able to have an impact. So she was uh, a solid performer for them throughout the day. thought Sheriff tried hard as well. Uh, She racked up 14 touches on the weekend, and, uh, yeah, it was a good – Effort from Casey. It probably sums up their season to date. They're able to be in the contest. Uh, They look attacking, but it just that that class and polish isn't quite there. And on the other side of the equation, Richmond just seemed that more match hardened. And even though it took them a while to click on the weekend, when they did, they looked incredibly dangerous.
1: Richmond hold third spot on the premiership table, six wins and no losses. Played one game less than the two sides above them in the Saints and the Magpies. For the Casey Demons, they are now eighth on the Premiership table. One went outside the top six, but on the pack of three wins and four losses, sit behind Melbourne Uni and ahead of Geelong. So the final game of the round at Main Oval, Melbourne University. Melbourne Uni, 3-9-27 went down to the Bombers, 6-4-40. Again, I talked about the weather conditions. I said maybe Essendon is a chance with the rain, and if Melbourne University turns into a bit of a bog and that's what happened, it suited the slower style of the Bombers
5: It certainly did and a bit of a bog, I think that's being a little generous to Tin Alley because when we were there just over a week ago it was absolutely horrible and it was a beautiful day then so no doubt the rain on on Saturday, this ground would have been an absolute mess to play on um, and the Bombers they fought it out, uh, they didn't uh, lead the possession percentage on the weekend. They trailed 46% to 54 So the Muggers had more of the ball but again like most sides across the weekend weren't able to do much with it. They were inaccurate. 3 goals 9 as you said 6 goals 4 Essendon on the weekend so they were making more of their opportunities. Uh, they had less inside 50 as the Bombers 22 to 31 the way of the Muggers. They led the hit-outs by only a couple. Tackles were were around the the same mark, as were Mark's. The handballs went a long way uh, in the favour of uh, Melbourne University. So they're obviously trying to do the in-short game, whereas, again, the Bombers, who are that more uh, youth, local talent mixture, get the ball forward at all costs, that's obviously uh, what they applied on the weekend without being able to see the game uh, yet in replay. But I'm assuming that's that's how they won the game. And it was really set up Towards the end of the, the opening term and, and in the second term, where the Bombers were able to build uh, their lead out three goals, one to one goal, three at half time. So, exactly the same scoring shots. The Bombers just more efficient going forward. Led by Stassi, that kicked two goals. Stepnell kicked two. is a familiar name, Pete. Cecilia McIntosh contributed with a goal on the weekend. Wilson also kicked a goal for Melbourne University. Gibson, Grierson, and Hay were their goal kickers. The player stats from the weekend just trend back in the side, racked up 24 touches, laid three tackles to Four marks. Jess Duffin was also back in the side for Melbourne University on the weekend. 23 touches, six tackles and six marks. A good performance from her. Gibson also racked up 23 touches. And Kate Gillespie-Jones, 21. So the top four possession getters on the weekend went the way of Melbourne University. Kendra Hall was the leading possession getter for the Bombers with 17. Cecilia McIntosh, in addition to her goal, uh, had 16 touches on the weekend, laid five tackles, took four marks. So the, the way that I read that is that Melbourne University were probably over-possessing the footy. They were again relying heavily on their top-end talent, that AFLW talent, and the, the rest of the list probably uh, not taking on the responsibility they need to, which is a little bit of a concern in regards to the VFLW season because it's hard to gauge if they can finally click, can they be a contender? I'm not entirely confident just because I think the bottom end of their list is a little weaker than some of the other sides across the competition. On the Bombers' side of the equation, if you were to rate their first half of the season, I think it's a, uh, it's a tick. I think it's a, 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 a pass mark for them at the moment. They've been much more competitive uh, than what they have, than what they were last year. That's the spine. There's been a couple of beltings along the way to the Tigers and to the Northern Territory Thunder. But beyond that, they've been in most games. They've been competitive. They've been able to put some scoreboard pressure on and they're starting to rack up the wins, which is a, a positive sign for this developing list.
1: Thanks again, Cox, for your look back at round eight of the Swiss Wellness VFL Women's Competition. Looking ahead to round nine, we've got a doubleheader on Saturday for you right here on RSN Carnival 2, also via warfradio.com. And the VFL app at 11am we bring you Essendon versus Collingwood from Windy Hill. Then at 3:30pm we bring you the Western Bulldogs versus Richmond. Both games live on RSN Carnival Two w-a-r-f-radio.com and the VFL app so tune in this weekend time for us to wrap things up here on RSN Carnival we'll be back next Wednesday night at 6pm Australian Eastern Standard Time and as always after the show concludes you can find the podcast version of the program by going to the RSN website going to programs and clicking on Women's Australian Rules Football or searching for Women's Australian Rules Football through your favourite podcast platform such as Spotify, Google Podcasts Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud Until next week, I'm Peter Holden, and it's bye for now.